I mean G-I-N, not J-E-N, but I guess J-E-N would work as long as she's a T-E-N, but that wouldn't even really matter after I was plastered, so just blindfold me, spin me around, and send me backwards, because I was proclaiming a gospel when I never even knew why Christ came, but she was my crown of validation as I slayed, and we came together just to awake in the morning and to take that crown off and leave her wondering why she let me touch her polished surfaces with my calloused, oil-stained hands. Don't be so harsh on yourself, I'd proclaim fork tongue swaying in the wind. I've been known to swoon, and if you mix that with a little bit of booze, well, this is kind of what you get, but I'm going to take all of the problem. And here's a hug, I'll spare you the kiss. But Christ, you met me in that apartment on the way to the cabinet. The cabinet I kept all of my crutches in, and God knows I needed crutches, because that season was filled with so much instability. And it wasn't in those walls. No, it wasn't in those walls, but the walls of my heart are looking as sin-stricken as that mattress did. Parade of the late, and at some point in the night, I'd say, Levi the poet, he's my favorite poet. Listen to how he talks about Christ. Of course I'm a Christian girl, what? Didn't you know it? Didn't my actions show it? A Western culture lukewarm pathetic excuse of an Antioch label at best. A me. My God better forgive me. I am just me centered. Poor little alcoholic self-centered victim mindset mentality. Lonnie, me. I am your everyday. I need drugs when I can't find God and I need God when I can't find drugs. Me, I am a Christian. So tell me what part of my life you don't like. And I'm going to tell you only God can judge me and he knows my heart. So... We're all right, right? You know my heart, so we're all right, right? But a good man out of the good treasures of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. But Lord, you know I meant it on Sunday when I asked you to take all of my sins away in the Peely Bay. I asked that they be washed away as deep as the ocean's depths. But it wasn't three days later that I met her and her venom tasted like honey. So I'm going to indulge into it until I take everything from each other and we really have like nothing left. She wasn't the only one. I'm sure that she would say that back patio view of that long blonde hair scaling down the side of my bed as if Rapunzel was asking Rodaba to come save her would make her say I'm not the safest one to gamble with. I remember staring at the ocean, listening to Satan tell me what a failure I was. I remember just wishing I could go back to a time that I'd never even been to yet. Back to a time before I'd ever tasted wine and I could go more than three days without getting blackout drunk. Oh, Hawaii. That's awesome. Thanks, Lonnie, man. That's awesome. Sweet. So it's really cool seeing like creative, creativity just keep coming out of people here. We just, I love the encouragement we bring through creativity. Um, once again, welcome to House Group Celebration. Uh, my name is JJ. I uh, lead, lead at the uh, Coleraine House Group. Um, we do House Group Celebration because we have five different houses going on right now. We'll, have, we'll probably have many more coming soon. Uh, but we have five houses that come together, and we were able to have a, have a service of our own as a whole entire body. And so I think that's just really cool. Um, but before we get started, uh, I really want to just have you guys stand up real quick. So can you guys just stand up real quick? Sweet. And so since we have five houses, one of the cool things that I love is uh, whenever, I, whenever I meet someone else at a different house and I have no idea who they are, I just get super excited. Because I'm just like, you're doing the same exact thing I'm doing every single week, and I don't know you. So, 
I would encourage you guys to just go find someone that you don't even know. Maybe they're at a different house, they lead, maybe they're, they're attending. Go and greet them and meet them. Sweet. All right, guys. We can just wrap it up. Bringing it back in. Bringing it back in. Sweet. That's really cool. And also, one of the cool things is we, we have other people who are actually, they just love being a part of the atmosphere that we create here. And so I just want to acknowledge you guys that maybe you guys don't go to house group regularly, uh, but you guys wanted to come and check out what we're doing. And uh, so just want to say that we're honored to have you. And uh, thanks for coming in. Sweet. I just want to let you know uh, quickly about something that's going to be coming up. Uh, later on in the night, we're going to be having offering. Uh, later on, it'll be during the worship set. Uh, so that's when, if you, if you guys want to, uh, we encourage you guys. Uh, we love to give people the opportunity to, to give us an offering. Uh, because we believe that offering is an act of worship. So that's kind of why we have it during the worship set. Um, we'll have baskets on these two corners of the stage. And uh, if you guys want to give there, uh, those will go directly to House Group Ministries. Um, also, if you want to donate to Vineyard Church Northwest, we will have boxes on the back walls um, near the sound booth that you guys can get towards. Sweet. Next thing is the Vineyard Regional Conference, which I think should be popping up here. Sweet. That's, ex- that's exciting. That's coming up this week. Like this Tuesday through Wednesday. No, Monday through Wednesday. That's awesome. June 6th through the 8th. Um, little details we'll have. It'll be $35 for registration. Um, it'll be in Vineyard, Florence, Kentucky. Um, and also, a uh, quick shout out to some of the leaders that'll be there. As you notice, we have Wilson there. He'll be one of the four main, main speakers. It's awesome. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Also, uh, Luke Hazelmeyer. He'll be, uh, he'll be one of the three main breakout sessions. And other than our Derry Turnbow, she, you see her leading, up worship, leading worship up here. She'll be leading worship there as well, so that's exciting. Yeah. So we encourage you guys just to come to that, uh, if anything, to just support, support them. Because they're really, like, what, what's going on in Cincinnati is really huge, and we're, we're even moving to Kentucky now, which is so cool. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, last announcement. Um, we're having a bowling thingy, bowling outing. It'll be after house group celebration. Uh, Doug Strong, can you, can you stand up? Sweet. Doug is uh, kind of organizing this whole thing, so if you guys want any information on that, I encourage you guys to find him afterwards, and he'll give you details on where that'll be at and when that'll be. Um, so, yeah. <clears throat> Last thing, uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to invite Luke Hazelmeyer up to the front, but before he comes up, uh, we're doing testimonies. Completely forgot about that. Sweet. So before we do that, we're doing testimonies. So before that, I'd like to introduce uh, Josh Goins. If we can have him come up front. Hi, guys. <laughs> okay, so I'm kind of new to house group. I'll go to the Westchester house group. Woo, woo. <laughs> and it's great. Oh, he's booing us. That's <laughs> 
No, but it's great. And you know, before this, I was uh, I was searching. I asked God, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, bring like a family environment that I'll be able just to like pour out my heart and receive as well, and all this stuff. And you know, and God brought house group like two weeks later, and it's just been amazing. It's been so cool. So that's a little bit about where I come from. <laughs> and I want to share a testimony that happened yesterday. It was so cool. Me, uh, Josh. And uh, Matthew, the two guys, they come to, uh, to um, Westchester, Westchester House Group. And, um, yeah, so we went out on the streets, and we were, we were praying for people. We actually went to Liberty, Liberty Mall. And God put someone on my heart, uh, this girl, you know, like, at the mall. They have, like, the people in the center that no one really, like, <laughs> everyone, everyone kind of walks by, kind of. It's just kind of, like, kind of shady a little bit. I don't know. I always thought they were. But, um, yeah, so there's a girl there. And she was, like, texting. And I was like, oh, this is great. So she's not busy. So I went over to her. And I just felt the heart of the Lord on her, for her. And so I just started pouring out. I was like, Jesus just loves you so much. You're just a princess, and he just adores you. He just, he, he's got a special place in his heart for you. And uh, she had diamonds and stuff like that, like um, she was selling them. And I was like, do you see these diamonds? You know, whenever I see these diamonds, I always think of, like, how Jesus just adores us with just jewels. You know, that's how much he loves us. And you're just his princess. And this girl, she started crying. And it was really, really powerful. Yeah, it was so cool. And um, kind of on the whole family thing, like this is a huge family, right? Um, something that I believe is that through people ministering to you <laughs> at house group and stuff, then you're able to go out on the streets and with, with love. And a testimony of this is before that happened, a couple hours before, um, we did this thing. A couple of guys, that, guys and girls, they, prayed for, they, they didn't pray for me. They uh, did this thing called an honor seat. Which was basically like I sat down and these people, like everyone, just, they just like honored me and they just poured out like words of life. And I was just overrun by, I was just so happy. I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And it just like energized me. And I was like, man, I, I, I just need to pour this out on other people now. I need to pour this out on other people. The heart of the Father, I just want to pour it out, you know? And something that God put on my heart to share uh, today is the essence of family, you know? It's the essence of family. And when we pour out on each other, us as a group, when we pour out on each other words of life and encouragement and just love, then when we go out on the streets, it becomes so natural to just love on other people and feel the Father's heart for the people who are checking us out at Walmart or whatever, you know? And just for Him just to come and interrupt our day because we feel the love of the Father from our friends and our family. And so it makes it so much easier. So I just love you guys. You're all awesome. You're all beautiful. And go Jesus. Sweet. Thanks, Josh. All right. Next, I'd like to invite uh, a good friend of mine, Amy Wallace. Sweet. For all of you who don't know, I actually call her Deborah. So you can call her Deborah from now on. I guess that's okay. Okay, so one of my favorite things to do when new people come to house group, like, for the first time, or, like, come to Coleraine, which is where I lead, for the first time, I like to ask them how they found out about house group, where did they, where, who do they know, where do they find out about it. I want another journey to house group because everybody's journey is so different, and I, in my personal opinion, like, mine is very unique. Um, I found out about house group on Facebook. Um, when I 
or what summer 2014 like half of my friends moved away to like different places for like work and school and so I was really really lonely and I didn't have like a community anymore because they were all gone um so like any 20 something I went to Facebook to solve my problems and so I posted this status right here um, and then my friend Johnny from high school, I'm pretty sure he's actually never come to house group. Um, he responded with this and his friend's Luke. So that's kind of fun. And so I went the following Friday. So my, I was, um, using my GPS and when you go to the Coleraine house, it's down about like a hill and you can't see it from the street at all. So we park like what, four houses down, but that's where my GPS took me. At least that's where I think it did. And so I pull in and there's a bunch of cars. So I was like, oh, hey, this is probably it. And there's four people standing outside and I walk up to them and I'm like, oh, hey, is this where house group is? And this guy goes, no, but I know where you're going. And so he's like, oh, just walk four or five houses down and hang a left at the light. So I start walking. And I'm like, how many houses did he say? Where's, what light? Like, is it a street light? Is it a traffic light? And I'm, like, really freaking out right now. My phone is in my hand. I'm ready to call 911. If somebody calls, comes up and, like, tries to get me in their car. And so I'm just walking. I'm like, okay, this isn't really, like, it's not worth it. It's not a big deal. I'm just going to go home. It's cold. It's dark. I'm, I'm over this. So I'm going to come back in the spring where it's light and warm. So I turn around and little did I know the guy is following me in his car and he's like, Oh, what are you like? What's what's going on? What are you doing? I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to go home and come back later. He's like, Oh no, don't worry. Don't do that. Cut in my car and I'll drive you down. And I'm like, first I'm going into a house full of strangers. I do not know whose house this is. All these people could try to kill me, and I don't, like, whatever. I'm not getting into a strange man's car, because that's just stranger danger, right? So um, I was like, I'll just follow. You drive, I'll follow you down. That's fine. So I walk down the big, long, big, long driveway, and I open the door, and Derry is like, hi, how are you? What's your name? And I'm like, I'm Amy. Nice to meet you. This is really, like, I'm really nervous. And she's like, wait. You're the girl from Facebook, aren't you? And so I was Facebook girl for like the whole night. And so, yeah. And so like the, there's so many people. And like, I remember this night, like it was yesterday and, but everybody was so friendly and like welcoming and all of the welcoming I felt on Facebook through the Facebook page translated right into real life. And so it was just really well, everybody's so nice and so welcoming. And that's what made me come back because everything that happened that night, the like ministry time was so different from anything I'm used to. I never had anybody come up to me and say, Hey, can I pray for you until Celia did? And so it's just like such a different kind of thing that it would have been so easy for me to just not ever come back and be like, that was really weird. They're like talking really strangely and like they see things and like (laughs) like so it could have been really easy for me to like not ever come back ever again but because of the friendliness that I experienced and the genuineness that like everybody has so that's what made me want to come back and I think that um definitely it comes across in all of the houses so yeah
Sweet, sweet. Can we just give Josh and Amy another round of applause, please? Thanks for coming up, guys. That's awesome. That's awesome. Sweet. I looked back and I saw it say testimonies, and I was like, why is that up there? <clears throat> sweet. So, um, yeah, we're going to move on. Uh, before we move on, I would like to uh, just kind of challenge you guys for one thing. Uh, the next 45 minutes or so, uh, we're going to have a really awesome time. Uh, we're going to have a lot of cool mindset uh, from a friend of ours named Luke Hazelmeyer. And uh, I encourage you guys, if you can, if you guys take notes on your phone, that's awesome. But sometimes what I'll do is I'll literally put my phone on airplane mode. Because um, I know Luke Hazelmeyer. And I know he's been going through, through the trenches like we all have. And he's been learning and growing just like we have. Like, you see him up here. And um, <laughs> we're like, oh, man, it's Luke. Oh, man. But he's just like us. He's, he's, like, he's, he's learning and growing just like us. So I just want to invite Luke uh, to come up and, uh, yeah, just really, really pay attention and, and even during women's worship. So, yeah, welcome, Luke. I swear I didn't pay him to say that. Yeah, right. JJ got you afterwards. Okay. How you guys doing? Good. How many of you know that you have about 50 cousins you never heard of before? Someone was like, yeah, I guarantee that person does not know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So where do y'all think I was this weekend? Ask me. Okay, so... This weekend, I got the honor of going to the Urbana Vineyard in Illinois and sharing with their young adult group. Believe it or not, they have a house group in Urbana, Illinois that is directly, they've directly modeled their ministry after what we do here in Cincinnati. So they, Will and I have been friends with some people from that church for about two years at this point. And they, we added them on Facebook and so they would see stuff about house group. They'd ask us about it. And um, there wasn't much going on with their young adult ministry there, although their church is probably uh, four times the size of the church we go to. And Will and I. And... Um, And then they just, they decided to come out probably a month ago or two months ago, about three months ago, to the Westchester, I always do that, to the Westchester house group because they wanted to observe it and learn about it and then bring it back to their state. I sent them a billion um, packets that I've made for house group and and so they're doing house group now, which is cool. And so yeah, I, they have their version of house group celebration on a Friday. And so last night, I, me, Anthony, Sunjay, and Jamie drove down to Urbana, Illinois, and I uh, spoke to them. They had probably about 50 people there, 40 people there. And it's just cool hearing people talk about Bible study and God moments and ministry time in another state, you know? <laughs> it's really pretty amazing. Um, it's just kind of crazy how far God has brought us, you know? Like, I mean, I still remember clear as day 
the first time anything happened. Will and I, our friend, said, hey, had this crazy experience, and would you guys please do a Bible study with me? And so we met with our friend Greg in Rose Street Cafe in Clifton in January 21st of 2013. And I had no clue that anything like that exists now was going to happen. We were not trying to start anything. It's funny, for the whole year before that, I was so badly trying to start a house church in Clifton. I have this old like journal that says, like, I felt like God told me to start a house church in Clifton. And I had all these ideas as to how it would look, but none of them really worked out. And so it was amazing when what I wasn't even trying to do out of my own wisdom, but just in obedience to God, it's amazing what he brought about because of that. So that's cool. Um, we have some values in house group and who knows what they are. Shauna. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Gospel center. Did you tell her that Anthony? Okay. <laughs> okay. So we have three values and you might be thinking, what's the point in having values? Like, why don't we just follow the Holy Spirit? Who needs values? We'll just follow the Holy Spirit, you know? Um, who needs values? Like, what, who, what does it actually affect? What does it matter if we write these three things down on a piece of paper and we all memorize it? Like, what does that actually do for us? And so I just wanted to share a little bit with you about the purpose of values. The purpose of values is this. 100 years from now, if by God's grace, what's happening right here is still happening to some extent. What we are saying is that no matter what it looks like, there's probably going to be different things that we're focusing on. You know, in one season, we might hit power evangelism really hard and another might be discipleship. It can, you know, maybe house when uh, all of us 20 years from now are no longer in our 20s and 30s and 40s, maybe then um, house group will look different for us. Who knows what the future could hold? But in having these values, this is what we're saying. If it is not focused on the kingdom of God, it is not house group. If the gospel of Jesus Christ that proclaims uh, our identity as sons and daughters of God is not at the forefront, then it is not house group. If we are all not acting in doing all of the stuff that we do, being motivated by love, it's not house group. If our mission is no longer to empower the body of Christ, if we're solely focused on excellence, we just want to do excellent things, it is no longer house group. House group empowers the people that no one else will empower. Because what did God say? He said that... Um, Oh, what is that scripture now? <laughs> but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. So what does that mean? That means that if we don't look around and see the weak, the foolish, the nothing, you know, the nothing according to the world standards, then... We don't have the people that God's trying to promote and change the world with, you know? So if it doesn't empower the body, if there are people, if there aren't people who have been given opportunities to do things that no one else will give them an opportunity to do, it's not house group. 
if we are no longer trying to see heaven come to earth, it's not house group. That's our vision. Cincinnati will look more like heaven than hell because of what God's doing through us. Cincinnati will look, I, I, I firmly believe that we don't just have good intentions. Like I want to drive around the city and be able to look in each neighborhood and realize, wow, God is alive and well in that neighborhood. And you know, I, I don't have, I didn't have to do it all. I don't have to um, be the one. We don't have to be the movement that like does everything, but we want to be the movement that makes sure it gets done. Um, if we have anything to say about it, you know, make, we want to see Cincinnati look more like heaven than hell. And of course it's not our, you know, wisdom, our strength. It's not that it's going to do it. It's when we rely on the wisdom and the strength of God, because he can do the impossible. And us doing the impossible just requires us to say, hey, God, I'm available. And we don't, gotta have, to, we don't have to have ability to do the impossible. We just have to have availability. God, we're available. Someone's got to do it. We'll, we'll be the ones. So those are our values. Um, Kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, love-motivated, mission and power of the body of Christ, vision to see heaven come to earth. And I want to focus in a little bit on the value kingdom focused. Focus on the value kingdom focus. I want to focus on that value. What is the kingdom of God? You know, it's a word that we oftentimes use. It's kind of like we were talking in our Bible. In Blue Ash, we studied Romans 5 last Thursday. And we were reading all these words. You know, we've been justified by faith in Christ and... um, I can't remember other words, but there are all these words that we like take for granted as Christians. Oh yeah, I've been justified. What does that even mean? Like, it's important that every once in a while we take a second and ask ourselves, what do these words that we're always using actually mean? And so what is the kingdom of God? It sounds cool. I don't know about all of you, but when I hear kingdom, that just kind of gets me excited. Just hearing the word kingdom, I just get excited, you know? Um, Well, what Jesus said is that the kingdom of God is this. When the will of God, as it's being done in heaven, is done on earth. That is when the kingdom breaks through. That what's happening up there begins to happen down here. So we don't tolerate things that aren't in heaven here. And we've been given the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit to address those things. It's the kingdom of God. Seeing heaven come to earth is the kingdom of God. So what does it mean that we're focused on that? What does it mean that we are focused on seeing his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, really, this is important stuff to think about. If these values that we have, if they just remain cool phrases that we all have memorized, but we don't actually know what they mean, they're not really worth anything. What does it mean that generations from now, our hearts cry is that there is still a people that is focused on the kingdom of God? What exactly does that mean? Well, that just means this, that there are lots of things that we want to include in our ministry. So we want to have um, great Bible studies and we want to love each other. There's all these things that we want to do, but our mission isn't going to change. The thing that we're, the mission that we are focused on is seeing the kingdom of God advanced. So I know I'm rambling about the values now. Kingdom of God. 
Open with me to Acts 17. Part of the kingdom of God is this scary E-word called evangelism. Scary E-word. I say that because, you know, reading my Bible every day, although it can be difficult at times because I might not feel like it or get stressed or whatever, it's not the... It's usually not that hard to do if I just buckle down. Um, And then going to church, being a part of a house group or a small group or any kind of community serving in any way, um, that's also not so difficult. But for some reason, just the idea of evangelism really scares a lot of people. And what, what we believe is that part of focusing on the kingdom is that every single one of us is to live a lifestyle of evangelism. And all I mean by that is this. Wherever I am, I want God to know that he can use me. Wherever I am, I want God to know that he can use me. I don't want to be in a gas station and say, well, God, I don't have any gifts that you can use right now, so I can't do anything. I don't want to be at Kroger. I don't want to be at Northgate Mall. I don't want to be anywhere and not be able to use, be used by God. So simply living a lifestyle of evangelism is, God, I want your heart, and I'm available to be used by you no matter where I am. And it could be to go talk to somebody I know. It could be to talk to somebody I don't know. But we're all called to live as Christ lived. You know, 1 John 2, 6 says, Those who abide in him ought to live, ought to walk, just as he walked. So if Jesus loved on the poor, healed the sick, casted out demons, then that's what we're called to do too. So this idea of lifestyle evangelism is really important at house group. And what I want to do is kind of dive into the scriptures and allow us to all rally around just a biblical basis for why we do power evangelism as a movement, why we focus on that kind of evangelism really above any others. Because, you know, there's lots of styles of evangelism. Anybody go to Taste of Cincinnati recently? Pop your hand up. Okay. There was a, a style of evangelism down there that involved holding up signs. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I don't know if I'd call it evangelism, but they call it evangelism. You know, tell the people that they're sin. Tell the people that they're condemned. And, uh, you know, there is truth in um, the message that people don't accept the gospel, that they are not entering the kingdom of God. That's true. But that's only half the message. The other half of the message is that there's a God that passionately loves you and is pursuing you and is not holding any of your past against you if you just turn to him. And if we're not preaching that gospel also, then we're just leaving people condemned. And you know what the Bible says about condemning others? Don't do it. <laughs> so there's, that's the style of evangelism. Servant evangelism. Man, I love servant evangelism. I grew up doing that at Vineyard Truck County. Hey, I got a water bottle here. God loves you. Um, I love, we, one of my favorite things, we walk into bathrooms of, or sorry, we'd walk into businesses. 
That could be a new one, bathroom evangelism, you know? <laughs> Actually, that reminds me, if all of you know Rick Rhodes, is Rick in here right now? I'm pretty sure that Rick one time told me a story about giving a prophetic word to someone while he was on the toilet in a public restroom. <laughs> to the person next to... Oh, it was Will? Oh, it was Will. Never mind, it was Will. <laughs> you can never know if it's Will or Rick these days. Just crazy. They're doing crazy stuff. That's all I know. So, so there's bathroom evangelism. Um, there's also servant evangelism. And one of my favorite methods of servant evangelism is we would go into businesses and have a bunch of cleaning supplies and ask them, hey, would it be cool with y'all if we cleaned your bathrooms? And the look they would give us was priceless. Just like, just shocked. You want to do what? We want to clean your bathrooms. And uh, the next question is, why? And we tell them, because, you know, Jesus loves you and we want to show you that love in a practical way. And man, it, that kind of a thing melts people's hearts. Um, so I love servant evangelism too. And uh, I was part of the navigators and the navigators did beach evangelism, had tracks, get people, hey, can I have 12 minutes of your time? Sure, share the gospel with them through illustrations. So there's tons of different types of evangelism. And it seems like at house group, we focus on power evangelism the most. Why is that? Because I don't know about all of you, but I only want to focus on that method of evangelism if this book tells us to do that. Like, if this book doesn't tell us to focus on that one more than the other ones, then I don't want to do that anymore. And we are kind of going, we're not doing anything wrong, but our trajectory is kind of modified a little bit. And if it continues for a long time, then we can kind of fall off course, you know? So I only want to, I only want to focus with a higher degree of intensity on the style of evangelism that is in this book. So what I want to do is show you why I believe the Bible does say that we are to do that. So I asked you to turn with me to Acts 17 a long time ago. <laughs> do that again, please, if you scrolled away. Um, or flipped away, I know. Who knows what, how many real Bibles and... Uh, I guess it's both real Bibles. How many digital Bibles and paper Bibles are out there? Okay. So, give you a little context. We're going to be starting in verse 22 in a second. To give you a little context, the passage we're about to read is Paul speaking the gospel in the city of Athens. Paul was probably the most successful, famous Christian missionary in New Testament times. He got saved probably like for, um, you know, maybe a decade or so or four or five years after Jesus died and used to kill Christians. Now he um, becomes one and is spreading the gospel, wrote half the New Testament. And Paul is going to the city of Athens in Greece. Now, what you might not know is that this city in Athens, maybe aside from Rome, but in a lot of ways elevated above Rome, was like the intellectual capital of the world at that time. Philosophy, science, medicine, art, it was the intellectual capital. And so Paul, he was in a city called Thessalonica in Greece, but persecution arose, he got pushed out, 
and he comes to Athens. And he comes to Athens and he starts talking to some of the people in the city about Jesus. And they uh, are hearing, they hear what he's saying and some of them are really turned off when he starts talking about this Jewish zombie that ascended up to heaven after a while. And so they're kind of like weirded out. But others are like, you know, he seems to be proclaiming something strange. We want to know more about it. Um, because it says in here, they spent all of their time just learning about something new. So they didn't actually care about truth. They just wanted to be intellectually stimulated. And so they invited Paul, these, I don't know exactly who it was, some, some philosophers. Um, they invited Paul to speak to the entire city, anybody who'd be willing to show up at this massive rock called the Areopagus. This huge rock, you may have heard it called Mars Hill, um, was like where a lot of um, judges would sit and judge on cases. It's where people would come give public addresses to the city. It was kind of like the place that you would go if you wanted to communicate with the whole city. And so he's, he's invited to come to like the most prestigious pulpit, we might say, in the whole city. And he agrees, of course. He's going to preach the gospel. And so he shows up to this, to the Areopagus and all these people are around and then he gets everyone's attention and Paul um, musters his best case for the gospel. We're going to read it in a second, but some things I want to point out before we read read it are this. Paul is considered by historians to be one of the most brilliant people that ever lived, like Einstein level intelligence. Paul also, um, in this passage we're about to read, was said to have paved the way for modern day apologetics. If you're not, if you haven't heard the term apologetics before, apologetics is simply making a rational, logical defense for the existence of God. So it's kind of like premise one, everything has a cause, premise two, whatever begins to exist. Wait, <laughs> I haven't looked into apologetics in a while. Uh, That's not important. <laughs> no, I remembered. Okay, premise one, um, the universe began to exist. Okay, premise two, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Therefore, premise three, the universe had a cause. And so then they would say that they'd build from there, but that would be the kind of the first argument. And there's tons of these arguments. There's ontological argument, moral argument, um, teleological argument, all kinds. And so that's a huge field that exists today. And it is said that Paul paved the way for modern day apologetics with what he said here in the 50s AD, some point in the 50s AD. Um, Paul also, he was well-versed in like Greek poetry. And so he actually quotes two Greek poems, two Greek forms of literature in this appeal that he's about to make in Athens at the Areopagus, the center of the city, intellectual capital of the world to the most intellectual people on the planet. And so I know that Paul is just like dying to see these people fall in love with Jesus because they are some of the most influential people that he's ever seen, um, interacted with before. So with all of that said, 
Let's read Acts 17, verses 22 through 31. Starting in verse, it's not going to be on the screen. So if you uh, have any, if you have access to a Bible, I encourage you to follow along. Verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Man, isn't that just brilliant right there? Like, there's just so much stuff in there. We could, actually, I I studied the book of Acts in a personal study. It took me months just to get through those nine verses there. So much there. And so Paul gives this brilliant appeal of the gospel. And I'm sure that right after he gave this, he was just waiting to see people run to the front fall down in repentance to the God who made the world and everything in it to no longer rely on their human idols, but to trust in this one who was to come, who uh, rose from the dead as a sign to the world. I'm sure that's what Paul was expecting. And Paul had already started many revivals at this point in Philippi. The Holy Spirit, I mean, God was working so strong that he got put in jail. Then the jail cells got opened from angels and earthquakes happened and whole households got saved. He's been doing, you know, he was, he was in um, modern day Turkey. And at one point, all the people were praising him and Barnabas as gods. And then like the next day they stoned them. But stuff was happening is basically the point I'm trying to make. Stuff was happening. He was not like ineffective as a minister. He had seen so much success and I'm sure he was expecting to see that here with his most brilliant intellectual presentation of the gospel ever. Okay, let's see what actually happened. Read with me in verses 32 through 34. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. 
So Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Not the reaction that I think he was looking for, right? I mean, yeah, it's, we always celebrate when anybody comes into the kingdom. Um, always celebrate that. But I think that uh, he was expecting to see citywide revival and instead just a handful of people accepted Jesus. So we're just going to pause and hold on to that knowledge for a second. And now we're going to continue reading in Acts 18, so the next verse after the one we just read, and see what Paul did after that, okay? So Acts 18, verse 1, what does it say? After these things, he, so Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth. Okay. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. So Paul gives just the most brilliant presentation of the gospel he could muster, you know, culturally relevant. He's not used, you notice in that one thing I didn't point out, if you notice in what we just read, he wasn't using words that Jewish people would definitely understand and know. He wasn't talking about Yahweh. He wasn't talking about the law or Moses or any of that stuff. He was using language that he knew they would actually be able to understand. I think that's still principles that we are putting into place at house group and, and beyond. Um, and so he did that. He uh, quoted the poets, like I told you. Just did everything he possibly could to make this um, relatable and impactful for them. But it didn't happen. So then he went to Corinth. And I don't know this for sure, but I want to suggest to you all that as Paul was leaving the city in Greece, Athens, and going to another city in Greece, Corinth, that he was kind of doing a little bit of soul searching. I have uh, stood up here before on this stage and other stages and given messages where no one really responded or seemed like they cared before. And uh, I know some people call it like the Monday blues for pastors. Like you preach on Sunday and then it doesn't go so well. So then you beat yourself up on Monday. Um, I have experienced that before. I know uh, other people in here have. And so here's Paul kind of defeated, has the Monday blues, thinking like, man, what else could I have said? How could I have nuanced this? Maybe I shouldn't have said this. Maybe I, sh- I knew I should have told that story that I was planning on telling, whatever it might be. Um, and so he's thinking like, how, like what, he's processing what had just happened. What can I do differently now to see people respond to the gospel? So he's going to the city of Corinth all of you have heard of First and Second Corinthians, right? So First and Second Corinthians um, is letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And what Paul does in First Corinthians two is, in the first five verses, recall what his initial experience was like when he first came to the people of Corinth. So we're going to read that passage in a second. And what that passage will show us is what was the very next thing that Paul did after his failed attempt to preach the gospel in Athens, okay? So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 2. This is going to be Paul speaking to the brothers and sisters, the church 
in the city of Corinth, recalling about when he first came to them. Okay? So 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. Read these verses with me. Verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Can I get an amen to that or something? Like, man. I remember when I first found this verse, I, I like couldn't believe it was in the Bible. In all honesty, I just like couldn't believe it. Um, so what do we see happened? So Paul left Athens and he got to Corinth. He didn't take the same approach. In fact, what does he say? What does he say? He says, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. When we do evangelism, it's not about having the right things to say. It's not about our knowledge. Oh, don't you dare go try to share the love of Jesus with the lost until you know enough, until you've done this, done that, memorized this, been to this. It's not about the knowledge that we have. It's not about using the right fancy words. He tried that. Didn't work out so well. Not about those things. Then he says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you. The reason that's significant is, is, is because Paul knew so many things. Like we said, brilliant, Einstein-level intelligence this guy had. Paul knew so much. But this time he said, you know what? All this knowledge that I have, just going to push that off to the side. And all I'm going to tell these people is that Jesus died for you and has risen to give you new life. Nothing but Christ and him crucified. And uh, what does he do in addition to that? In verse 3, he says, Well, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He's not worried about his image. He's not trying to look really smart. He's not trying to use language and literature and references that will give him intellectual credibility with people. He's kind of abandoning that approach. What does he say, though? Verse 4. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. In demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, that is how I came to you with the testimony of God. Didn't care what it looked like. Didn't care what I said. Didn't care what I knew. All I cared about is giving the Holy Spirit a chance to reveal himself. And... My words, they've just gotten in the way in the past. I'm going to put my words to the side and let him just come and do what he does. Then in verse 5, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You know what that means? If a good argument gets someone to believe in God, all it takes is another good argument for them to disbelieve in God. 
not about, you know, if, if, if that is the thing that gets someone to accept Jesus, like a really good argument, then their faith isn't actually on a real tangible living God. It's on a good argument. So how does all this relate to power evangelism? Um, pretty obvious. If we want to see people, if we want to see the lost accept Jesus into their lives, plan number one is demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit to them. I've heard before um, from a really brilliant preacher, because we have had an encounter with God, we owe an encounter with God to everyone that we interact with. Because we didn't earn the encounter that we got. We didn't deserve the encounter that we got. So who are we to withhold that from anybody else? I remember a couple of years ago, I was at Kroger and I knew that I wanted to pray for somebody. Back then I was kind of learning about power evangelism and I made it a habit. My goal is wherever I go, I want to walk up to at least one person and ask them if I can pray for them. If they say no, fine. But if I'm in Skyline, if I'm in Kroger, if I'm in Olive Garden, if I'm in BP, the movie theater, wherever, the pet store, wherever I go, I want to pray for somebody. And so <clears throat> I was in Kroger and as I was walking out of my beautiful blue minivan, <laughs> I look over to my left and I see this guy about my age who is walking around the parking lot picking up cigarette butts. And I kind of knew what he was doing. He was going to squeeze out the little remnants of tobacco that were in there and roll himself a cigarette because he probably couldn't afford them. And so I saw that and I felt the urge to go talk to him. And so I was like, okay, should I? No, I'm just going to go in. Yeah. So I, I wussed out. And I went into Kroger and tried to pray for a couple of people. It just didn't quite feel right. And I knew that it was because God really wanted me to interact with this guy. And so I walk back outside and I'm okay, Lord, if I see him in that same spot, then I'll pray for him. Walk over. He's not there anymore. Okay. Darn. I don't have to pray for him now. <laughs> um, <laughs> get into my minivan um, and I start reversing. And as I'm reversing, he's walking right behind my car. <laughs> So I slam my brakes on and put it in a park, still like halfway out of the spot. And I walk up to this guy and I happen to have a pack of cigarettes in my van. So I brought this with me too. And I walk up to him and I say, hey man, um, I saw what you were doing earlier. Would you like a couple of real ones? And he said, oh yeah, sure. Thank you so much, man. And so I um, gave him two cigarettes and started talking to him. What's your name? He told me, oh, my name is Brody. And I'm like, okay, where are you from? Grew up in Coleraine, but dropped out. And now I'm working at Arby's, got a daughter at home and just don't really have, it's really hard to make ends meet and I'm stressed and I'm just trying to get by. So we're just talking with him. And then I ask him, hey, uh, Brody, do you happen to have any pain in your body? Or no, I felt like God revealed to me that he had pain in his back. So I asked him, hey, Bro, do you happen to have any pain in your back? And he said, yeah, actually I do. How do you know? I'm like, well, this is going to sound really strange. But I felt like Jesus showed me that you had pain in your back. And that he, uh, he would love, to, and if you'd let me pray for you, that, um, that I'd love to pray for you to be healed. And so he said, oh, okay, well, yeah, sure you can pray for me. Quick side note, I know that um, I'm not, 
promoting cigarette addiction. I understand that, that this is not good for your body, among other things. But who knows if he would have even given me the time of day unless I gave him those cigarettes. So sometimes loving God and meeting people where they're at can look kind of risque. It can't violate what's in here. And it can never violate what's in here. But sometimes it, we, have to, um, we have to be risky in evangelism. So anyways, um, he, uh, let me pray for him. And he told me that he had had this pain since he was 14 in his back and that just every day. And so I kind of related with him because I've had pain in my back, my back every day since I was 15. And so I prayed um, in Jesus' name, command this back to be healed and had him tested out. His back was completely healed. He was shocked, blown away. I said to him, Brody, check it out. He's like, what? And I said, the reason why Jesus just healed your back is that he wants to heal the rest of your life too. And so if you would accept him right now to come and live inside of you, he would, uh, he'd be your savior. He'd be your Lord. And any joy, peace, sense of fulfillment, anything that you could possibly ever want in this life, you'll be able to find in him. And he uh, still kind of shocked from no back pain. And he's like, yeah, dude, I want that. And so he accepted Christ right there in the Kroger parking lot, two cigarettes in his hand. Now, the reason I tell that story isn't to brag, but it's to show the truth of what Paul is saying here. That I could have walked up to him and said, hey, excuse me, sir. Um, do you have 12 minutes for me to show you this uh, illustration and, these, and, and have me lead you through these scriptures? You know? And people have accepted Jesus in that way before. So I don't want to say that's a bad thing to do. I could have told him, hey, man, um, do you want a free water bottle? I could have done that. I could have said, hey, do you know where you're going if you die tonight? Because it's hell if you haven't accepted Jesus. Could have said that. Um, and who knows? God can work through all those things. But what I did instead was kind of got out of the way and let the power of the Holy Spirit come and interact him. Evangelism is just doing everything we can to get out of the way for God. Really. It's having the love of the Father, having the love in our hearts that will lead us to actually go up and approach people, and then getting out of the way. If we really love people, we won't be afraid to walk up to them and say, hey, excuse me, can I ask you something? If we really have that heart of that Father, we won't be afraid to do that. And so if you have, I mean, I struggle with fear in evangelism still. If you have struggled with fear in evangelism before, the answer isn't just to try harder. It's to ask God to give you the ability to love harder. Lord, just fill me with your love. Like, let my heart break when I walk by every single person that I see. Because if I, I know that if I really love these people, then I won't be afraid just to walk up to them. I mean, think about it this way. If you uh, saw, think about someone you love, if you saw them in Kroger, they didn't know you were there, would you have any fear of walking up to them? You know, for example, like I love Nick Hunter. And so if Nick Hunter was at Walmart and I saw him, I wouldn't be like, oh, should I go up to him? Oh, maybe I should. Oh, I don't know. Lord, what do you think? Give me a sign, God. Okay. I'm going to look for the word yes or no. Okay. Okay. Not in there. 
okay, if he walks around again, then I'll talk to him. We wouldn't do that, right? Because we love the person. And so if, if I love a God in me, I should love everybody in this room and beyond with the same degree of love that I love Nick. There shouldn't be a difference. So it just takes that, that love, that love, love motivated, one of our values. It takes the love of the Father to get us to push past fear, push past all that stuff. Hey, excuse me. Um, could I ask you a question? Hey, excuse me. Can I tell you something that I feel like Jesus put in my heart for you? Hey, excuse me. I saw that you are on crutches. Any chance that I could pray for you? I believe God wants to heal you. And then we just get out of the way. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes. And uh, the power of the Holy Spirit is the best tool for evangelism we can ever use. Okay? So I'm going to invite the worship team back up. We're going to do an activity while they're getting ready. Everybody get out your cell phone or a piece of paper and a pen. Okay. Okay, so this is going to be for anyone who has, um, you want to get started with this power evangelism thing, but you're having some difficulty or you haven't done it in a while and you want to get restarted in it, okay? So I want you to write a one in the first margin, go a line down, write the number two, go another line down, write the number three. One, two, three. By number one, write or type this. Say hi to someone I don't know. I love something that Wilson always says. Um, If you can't just be nice to people, if you can't just in public be friendly, say hi, wave, smile, if you can't just be nice to people, then you have no no business sharing the gospel with them. If we can't just be friendly and be nice to people, we have no business sharing the gospel with them. So this first one isn't even really doing power evangelism. It's just getting us out of the, like, avoid all other people at all costs while I'm out in public mentality. Trust me, I'm a major introvert, believe it or not. The last thing I want to do is interact with people when I'm in public. Okay? I want to be in my own world. Say hi to someone. You know... It doesn't have to be awkward. You don't have to like someone's um, buying macaroni and cheese. Hi. <laughs> like, don't do that. But as you're checking out, just, or as you're, as you're walking out of, um, you know how sometimes you will be walking out of like a store and someone will be walking in and you'll be pretty close and no one else will be around and you'll just kind of be like, <sighs> you know what I mean? Instead of doing that, just say, hey, how's it going? And they usually are like, hi. It's that easy. Okay, number two. Ask someone you don't know how they're doing today. This just looks like, okay, I am purchasing my gas at Speedway. And 
as they are taking my money, I ask the clerk, hey, how's your day going today? And I think they like being treated like a human being rather than just like a robot that takes your order. Okay, and then number three, ask someone if you can pray for them. Don't, you don't have to use any big, fancy, weird words like we talked about. You don't have to be like, hey, I just feel like I have a burden of intercession for you right now. Please, would you let me petition God on your behalf that the Holy Ghost would fill you and baptize you with the fire of God? <laughs> okay? Don't have to say that. Just say, hey, excuse me. This might sound out of the ordinary. I really love praying for people and I was wondering if I could say a quick prayer for you. Okay. So in the next week, between now and next Saturday, do your first goal. The second week after that, do your second. So three weeks from, by three weeks from now, have prayed for one person. And uh, we'll see this city turned upside down for the kingdom of God. Okay. So that's all I have. Thanks, guys. We're going to do... We're going to do some worship now, so I'm going to hand it over to me and all these people. <laughs> cool. So, um, yeah, when we worship here, uh, feel free to um, just do whatever it feels like to you to like just engage with God, be it like standing up, be it coming up front. Yeah, you're just free to do any of that. So, yeah. So God, we just welcome you here right now. Just come and fill this place. God, we just want to worship you right now. Thank you so much for this opportunity to just come together and experience all that you are. <laughs> 